0: Ready? Hit it. Hello everyone and welcome to Variety Theater the Spice of Life podcast with Maria Lovelady and Michael Allen
1: Bailey. A podcast that aims to bring all things variety out of the wings and into the limelight.
0: So without further ado, let's, let's get this show on the road. road.
1: On today's episode,
0: the ultimate ballet pas de deux.
1: Find out which country plays the Royal Variety Show at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve.
0: And find out who we bumped into in the audience of Joan Collins' unapologetic one-woman show. Hello, Michael. Here we are. Well, it's been a while, hasn't it? I haven't Te- seen you for a whole 24 hours. <laughs> it's so
1: <laughs> lovely to be seeing you again after what has been a very exciting and fabulous week. Hasn't it?
0: Well normally we would take this time to ask each other what we've been doing but we don't need to because we've been together. We have and we've done lots
1: of exciting things, we've got a lot of plans. So why don't we start with, I mean the best thing that we've probably done this week and potentially this year and potentially our lifetimes. What I don't think I don't
0: think there's a potential about it, I think it's definitely the best thing <laughs> we've ever done. Monday night we are trotted down to the west end and we saw a q and a with the one and only joan collins uh, dame dame, dame joan, collins. joan collins she'll be she'll be her blood will be curdling if you don't use the dame we booked tickets to go and see it months ago didn't we it was like literally mm. a- about 6 months ago
1: yeah, and it's one of those things that has just come around so
0: fast. So fast. And she was doing a book tour for her new book that she's got out, Unapologetic, and she was doing a QA and a with Graham Norton. Mm,
1: who we love. One of who our other favourites. And it was at the Drury Lane Theatre Royal, which we have discussed in previous episodes, because, of course, that is where Dan Leno and Mary Lloyd were doing pantos 100 years ago. And here we are 100 years later. It's currently showing Frozen, which is probably, you know, if not the biggest show on the West End at the moment, certainly it's the gotta biggest show It's got to be the, the biggest. And we all sat there and watched a wonderful evening with Graham and Joan. And it was just as camp and fabulous as you would want it to be.
0: And it was so relaxed, wasn't it? You genuinely just felt like you were sat in Joan Collins' living room listening to you her did. speak. <laughs>
1: Except, I mean, maybe this is how Joan lives in her living room. She came out in this like tight, Fit bodycon dress that was kind of see through with just lines and rows of sequins all over it. It was absolutely black,
0: black elbow length gloves. She uh-huh. looked immaculate. And then in the interval, she changed, didn't she, to like classic Joan Collins. And she came on in the second half in the classic dynasty white suit, power suits, power suits. She was just dripping in jewels. She was absolutely sparkling. Her hair and makeup was immaculate. She was true Hollywood glamour, wasn't she? Exactly. We were saying it was like the last taste. It was like the last example of true Hollywood glamour. And it was awe-inspiring.
1: It was. I think some of the stories that she was telling, you just can't believe she's like, yeah, I was sat between Roger Moore and Frank Sinatra. And then she's talking about modern-day people like you know, that she's hanging out with Tom Ford and you just think this woman's career has just spanned so many decades. Yeah, She's just been surrounded by so many of the greats and she's a living great among us. And like, I think what was amazing, like what you just said is that even though these stories were just so real true Hollywood glamour, we felt like we were included and we felt like we were just in her living room. There was no pretension about it at all. And it was really unfiltered.
0: Comple- oh, completely unfiltered. Completely unfiltered. Like, and I think s-
1: Graham Norton struggled with that at times because it was kind of like you could wanted-
0: tell, couldn't you? There were-, <laughs> there were beads of sweat, and he's thinking, "Where are the lawyers? We're gonna have to clear this." <laughs> that's so- great because that's what the audience wants, isn't it? You don't want to go and see Joan Collins, and for it to just be say, "Oh, everyone was lovely. I've had such a lovely..." Life. You want You mm. want to dish the dirt? You want it to be Alexis Carrington?
1: You do. And it was the real highs and lows. Like she was really talking about some highs in her career. And then other times she was like, no, like she told this amazing story about how basically Cruella de Vil was promised to her Mm -hmm. as a role for the, the movie that was made that eventually went to Glenn Close and that she just opened up. What did she say it was? The Hollywood Reporter? The Hollywood Reporter. She just opened up The Hollywood Reporter and there it was. Joan Collins, uh, not Joan Collins, unfortunately, Glenn, well, no, not unfortunately, because Glenn is amazing, but Glenn <laughs> actually got the part and she read that in a magazine. That's how she found out about it. And I, I just think, you know, not even just as performers, I think anyone in any industry, mm-hmm. it's that when you've been promised something or you think something's in your grasp and it, it disappears. It's so heartbreaking. And it was amazing to hear her talk so honestly about that heartbreak.
0: It's very comforting to know that Dame Joan Collins is going through exactly the same things (laughs) as so many of us. It is. And And like you say, it's really interesting, isn't it, that while we've been doing the podcast and everything that we've been looking into, you know, we've really seen that variety has transcended the decades, you know, from from the old days to now and how it's still relevant it's still in our consciousness whether we think of it as variety or not you know it, it maybe be in, in various guises and her career kind of reflected that didn't it because like you say one minute she's talking about working with betty davis and jean kelly and the next she's talking about going for dinner with kim kardashian and you know you, you just think it's it's completely transcends and she's 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 stayed sort of relevant and conscious all this time.
1: Yeah, and I think even the fact that we just went and listened to her talk is variety in itself. I think what a lot of people confuse variety with, and probably because it's the more fabulous photos and the fabulous videos that they recorded, you know, all these these dancing girls, the comedians, the big costumes, the sparkles, but back in the day, and, and certainly in vaudeville, maybe more than variety here, you know, you used to have people giving talks. People used to come on and they'd yeah. talk about science, which yeah. is kind of where science fiction came from because mm-hmm. they would fictionalize all of these um, advances in science yeah. or someone would come and say, oh, I've been traveling in the far East and these are the, these are the things that mm-hmm. I saw. And that's just basically the early travel documentaries. And mm-hmm. so this idea that it was all just singing and dancing isn't true. They will have had yeah. people interview big stars of the day, big travellers of the day, you know, anyone who climbed a mountain, anyone could get up on that stage and entertain. And that's what Graham and Joan did.
0: But I'd rather hear about what a nightmare Linda Evans was rather than (laughs) climbing Mount Everest, personally. And we've got to do a little bit of name dropping as well while we're here. We had a gorgeous dinner at the Ivy, didn't we, before we went to see it? We
1: did, which was delicious. I had a Damien Hirst
0: cheesecake. You yes, did, and that's I something did. you
1: didn't know you were going to get when you woke up that
0: morning. And we just, we just said, I don't know whether he actually designed the desserts or whether he was actually out back in the kitchen making them. I, <laughs> I, mean, I hope it was with the latter. paintbrushes. <laughs> Damien, we've had another order for cheesecake, and he's like, oh, good. Where will I find the inspiration <laughs>
1: for this one? What's my muse? Just looks at a sous chef to his right.
0: You're my muse. You're my muse. A mouldy <laughs> carrot. You're my muse. <laughs> So that was gorgeous, our lovely dinner. And then we met and we had a lovely chat in the theatre with the legend that is Christopher Biggins. The one and only. The and one he and was only. And so lovely. How lovely was Christopher Biggins? He chatted to us like we'd known him for years.
1: He did. He did. And, you know, obviously Biggins, I think, is one of those people that when you meet him, you feel like you've known him for years because yeah. he's very authentic in himself when he's in the Well, meeting. we have.
0: We have known him for years. <laughs>
1: And then he obviously, you know, we just started chatting to him and he just, you know, was instantly just wonderful and friendly and everything that you wanted him to be. And, you know, we would talk about Panto because obviously we're about Mm -hmm. to go into Panto season, Mm -hmm. which is something we really want to cover on this podcast over the Christmas period. Yeah. And, you know, who better to talk about Panto than probably, he must be, do you reckon he's up there in terms of the most Pantos
0: ever done? Oh, without a doubt. He without must. a doubt. He we must. mentioned, didn't we, Dan Leno to him and his eye kind of twitched because he was like, <laughs> like he was, that was his <laughs> biggest rival.
1: He's dead now. It doesn't He's matter. Dead now. It's
0: <laughs> and we were a little bit cheeky and we did ask Biggins if he would mind getting a selfie with us. And that is going to be over on our Instagram. So check out our Instagram and like our photo of us with Biggins. What more could
1: you want from a photo? What more could you want from Instagram in general? <laughs> I think that's the reason it was made. So, so I'm still
0: on a high from the Monday. Are you?
1: I'm. I'm absolutely still on a high, and I'm still recovering. To be honest, I'm like walking around in a, in a
0: sleep-deprived daze, and even more on a high because of the amazing show that we've got coming up. <laughs> And before we talk about our very, very, very special guests today, let's talk facts. Let's give ourselves a little variety theatre fact. Go on, Madge, Do you want to go first? What is your
2: I
1: will go first? So I think that most people, when they think of variety shows, they um, picture maybe tonight at L- the London Palladium, something like that. Mm-hmm. More recently, we've had Bradley Walsh we've had uh, Michael McIntyre do those yep. variety shows and you kind of have the central compare and everyone else jumps in around that maybe mm-hmm. if we're talking a few years ago we've got good old Bruce Forsyth someone like that yep. but yep. back in the day these variety shows didn't have compares and that is my fact for the day so what would happen is Each variety show would have a series of acts and nobody came on in the middle of the acts. It was just one after another. So how this worked is that each act would have a number. So you might be number one, two, 22, whoever was on the bill. We'd be
0: number 22.
1: And often well that's another fact for a d- another day but actually it wasn't always uh, the best sh- saving the best acts to last like now right uh, because of public transport so by the time the show finished ah. a lot of the time people had already gone home
0: okay <laughs> right okay
1: yeah so the biggest acts were usually a little bit more in the middle of the show
0: mm-hmm.
1: so back to these numbers each act would have a number and often the numbers could change around so you might suddenly be on first when you were meant to be on third or whatever and so each act had a number and the program would just list each act and their number and then when they came on instead of your uh, Bradley Walsh coming on to say this next act is there would be numbers at the side of the stage that would just change and it would say act number seven and you would have to consult your program to see who act number seven was I never knew that. That Mm -hmm. is so interesting. So the whole idea of a compare is something that's a little bit more modern. Now, the best shows would have no time between one act and another because obviously... What's going to happen? Your audience is going to get restless. Maybe yeah, yeah. people think I'm going to go to the toilet. I'm going to get a drink. Mm-hmm. They might even want to go home. So yeah. this time in between one act and another was called a stage wait. And the best shows didn't have any stage waits. Right. So they would put together acts so that maybe you would have a comedian that would be downstage front, and the red curtains would be closed. What we'd call in the theatre tabs, and they mm-hmm. would be performing right in the apron of the Stage in front of the tabs, and a magician would be behind setting up while that comedian was on. Of course, then that comedian can walk off, tabs open, and there you have the magician. And in that sense, there would be no stage weight. Now, if there was a stage weight, the audience would get very unruly. And I've actually got a quote here. So I have a guy here called Napier from the Lewisham. Well,
0: tell him to go. We're trying to record a podcast. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and he said, back in the day, not right now in my living room, <laughs> that a stage weight was an unforgivable sin in any performance.
0: My God, that's ominous.
1: Mm-hmm. So sometimes they might have like a musical interlude of, of the orchestra covering. Yeah. That, you know, if it yeah. wasn't maybe a number one theatre that had these big sets and, and all of that. But yeah, I just found that really interesting because... I think a lot of the time people think of that, like end of the P, a show with some guy like keeping the crowd going. But back in the day, you wouldn't have that. So if the act before you that had been on hadn't been a big hit, you as the act would have to get the audience back on side. You couldn't have a funny man going on in between going, and that was those dancers. And now we've got a comedian and getting the audience rallied back up. Yeah, It was absolutely your job as an act.
0: The more you hear about theatre of this time, it just sounds so terrifying, doesn't it? Like, why did these people put themselves through it? Absolutely. It literally sounds like the next step up from, you know, the gladiators watching people <laughs> fighting tigers in the coliseums and things like that. It's the next, the next level. Mean,
1: the more and more I read it, the more I think, I don't know if I would have been able to do it. Absolutely, I know. Absolutely I know. terrifying. And there was just no... I mean, the industry now, there's no guaranteed success but there was just, there was even less success. There was almost more competition, but some- And the things...
0: risk of actual physical bodily harm, usually. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And h- complete humiliation. Yeah. You know, that's something that, that's so interesting, isn't it? Is that these people had to try so hard and they had to like chop and change their acts to get attention, depending on who'd been on before them, who was coming on after them, what level of theater they were doing, the size of the crowd. And I think that all that sort of, Um, chopping and changing and preparation and adapting to your surroundings. That's what made these people such good performers. It's not like now where you have to be a first time hit. And if you don't get a number one straight away, or if you you don't get a million clicks straight away, Mm -hmm. then no one's interested in you. Mm -hmm. These people had time to develop their acts and therefore their talent was just through the roof because they could adapt to any situation. They knew how to get out of it.
0: Well, that was my fact. What is yours? Well, mine's a very short and sweet one. Did you know that in Norway, the Royal Variety Show is aired on television at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve? I did not
1: know that.
0: As New Year hits in Norway, the Royal Variety Show is aired.
1: And is it a similar format to our Royal Variety?
0: No, it's our Royal Variety. Oh, our Royal 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 Variety. Variety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just a random Norwegian Royal Variety. I thought
1: they maybe have their own. (laughs) Do they even have them? No, 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 no. no, It's global,
0: our Royal Variety. And did you know as well that worldwide, the average viewing ship of the Royal Variety show is 152 million views.
1: Wow. I mean, that's incredible. Again, just showing that variety and British variety in this case Mm -hmm. is loved and enjoyed all over the globe. Absolutely. Which we know from our listenership. So everybody here, our beautiful audience, we love you. And we can see that the views for this podcast are coming in from all over the world. And that
0: just makes us so happy. And we love to hear from you guys as well. So please head over to our Facebook, to our Twitter, to our Instagram and send us a message. Let us know where you're from and we can give you a little shout out. Oh, we'd love to give people shout outs
1: on this podcast. Please get in touch. (laughs) It would be absolutely lovely. And if you've got any facts, if you've got any anecdotes that you'd like to share with us, please get in touch and we'll share them on here too. So talking about
0: anecdotes. Talking about anecdotes. If you want anecdotes, what have we got coming up for you?
1: (laughs) I think that links us perfectly onto our guests for the
0: week. Now we've talked a lot about the theatre, we've talked a lot about comedy, we've talked a lot about comedians, we've talked a lot about plays, but this podcast is all about variety. So today we bring you an interview from the world of ballet, the magical world of ballet and dance. And we are talking to two of the most renowned names in international ballet. So our special guests today are Michael Beer and Marion St. Clair. Now they have done a bit of everything. They are huge goliaths in the world of ballet. Principals and primas in pretty much every major league ballet company in the world. They've performed in a variety of theaters from Cape Town to the West End, like they've done it all. And these are people, Michael and Marion are people that can call the giants of the dance world, Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev, not only colleagues, but friends. Mm -hmm. you know these are really really special people and we were so so lucky that they agreed to talk to us now we've just got to clear up all these names because they've got about a million code names they're like a couple of spies so (laughs) they're Michael and Marion but Marion's nickname is Midge so friends and Michael himself will call her Midge she calls him Mike now we know them by different names because lucky lucky us they are our former ballet teachers they are they taught us ballet. I mean, they taught in loads and loads of vocational colleges and places around the UK. We were lucky enough to be taught by them at Liverpool Theatre School and we all affectionately knew them as Mr. and Mrs. B. So we will probably refer to them in the interview as Mr. and Mrs. B.
1: Even though we left them 15 years ago or something. Oh, it never leaves you. Once you a student, you always a student. You just have to call them Mr. and Mrs. B. It's the only
0: way. I recorded the whole interview squeezing me center <laughs> and pulling well. up. I'd like to
1: say I did just to impress Mr. and Mrs. B, but I don't think I did. I think I did the whole interview holding my breath because it was magic. That's it the only magic. way I can explain it. And this interview we have managed to chop down because we were at the house. We were very lucky to be invited to their to their home. and we would must have been there for four or five hours and we just oh, we were kept- there all day we kept the, the tape rolling and we recorded everything, but in order to bring it to you guys, we've had to chop it down a little bit, but this episode will be over two episodes because there was just so much content. We couldn't narrow it down just to one episode. And as there are, we've interviewed both of them together and they mm. are two people, we thought they deserve two episodes. So this week sort of concentrates on their early careers. And getting to and- know them. And getting to know them as people and where they their variety loves. And then the next episode we will focus on none other than royalty. We'll just leave that carrot dangling
0: for you there. None other than royalty.
1: And their time
0: as co founders of the London City Ballet, which London City, why can't I speak? And Michael has written a book he's written his memoirs to commemorate and to document and record the history of the London City Ballet, because as they said, there's not much on record about the smaller ballet companies. The big ones are all there, but mm. the smaller ones, which are really the basis of the bigger ones being founded, are kind of becoming obsolete. And And he wanted to change that, which is a fantastic thing. I mean, such a, a treat, such a, a great thing for the ballet world that he's decided to do this.
1: And document it. And he actually did this during COVID. So good on him for not just sitting around and watching, I don't know, Jeremy Kyle. I can't imagine he watches Jeremy Kyle actually, but you know, daytime television. And he well, actually would get up every day and write his memoirs. And thank God that he did, because now we have this terrific book and it is terrific and that's one of the reasons as well we've cut the podcast down a little bit because any more stories that we were told that we've had to cut you can read in his wonderful book. Should we get him on? Let's do it. Five, six, seven,
0: eight. And we've got the amazing Mr. and Mrs. B, Michael Beer and Marion St. Clair joining us now. We are so grateful. Thank you both so much for agreeing to talk to us today. It is such a privilege to be with you both. So let's just dive straight in. Can you tell us a little bit about how the variety of theatre has spiced up your life?
2: Well, I think Michael should start really because he's, he came from Africa. So it was uh, an incredible story how he got to this country. So go on. Yeah,
3: well, my father used to play the piano as a hobby. So when he came home, he used to practice sometimes. And as soon as he started practicing, I would get up and start throwing myself around the sitting room floor, you know, whirling and twirling. It was something that was just there. As soon as I heard music, I wanted to move. And I also wanted to dress up and... Be the centre of attention, really. I mean, my mum says that's he just wanted to perform. So she took me to ballet school. My dad uh, said, yes, take it. He'll only last a day. He'll hate it, you know, with all the girls and everything. But the, my teacher, Mari Bodenstein, um, in Pretoria, South Africa, we'd moved from Mozambique to, to South Africa, she was delighted. She had a, a male dancer, oh... <laughs> She wasn't going to let me go. And, um, and I, I, fortunately, um, I was blessed with very good feet for ballet. And when she said, point your foot, and I pointed it, she was astounded. And she said, that's it. He's not, <laughs> he's not leaving me. He's going to be there. Anyway, I studied under her for about two or three years until we moved to Rhodesia now Zimbabwe, and I did ballet lessons um, with my local teacher, Thelma Harris, m- most afternoons of the week. Whilst that was all going on, Peter Franklin White, who was a, a character lead character artist with the Royal Ballet, came out from Britain to do lecture demonstration tours, you know, and he came... And he saw me dance at my local studio and immediately said, this boy has got to go to London. to the. Royal. I can get him into the Royal Ballet School on my recommendation, no audition required. So within six months of him visiting, I went to the Royal Ballet School. So I did four years and I was lucky enough to get into the company. They decided that they wanted to close the touring section and amalgamated with the resident company at Covent Garden at the Royal Opera House. Well, disaster, <laughs> total disaster. Because suddenly there were masses, you know, it was such a big company, and you had nothing to do. Most of the time you were just sitting in the dressing room. With, when they amalgamated the companies, it was like going back to square one. And I thought, well, when, when, when am I going to get on? You know, Um, so I thought, no, it's this isn't for me. I didn't have anything much to dance. Mm. So Peter Darrell, who was then director of Scottish Ballet, he said, oh, don't stay with that lockdown in London. Come dance for me. I went and asked Macmillan if I could be released from my contract. No, refused. Why are they keeping me here? I've got... I'm not doing anything. So, I mean, you know... Peter Darrell said, leave it to me. And it just so happened that the so-called splinter group were going to do Pineapple Poll, which we used to do in the old touring company. And the ballet master of Scottish ballet, Gordon Aitken, he knew the ballet inside out. Macmillan wanted... Gordon Aitken to go down to put it on. And also, too, Macmillan had choreographed a ballet for Western Theatre Ballet, Las Hermanas. And he, apparently, Scottish Ballet had the rights to this ballet, even though it was Macmillan's ballet. Macmillan wanted to revive it. So um, he asked Peter if he could have permission to the rights. And Peter Darrell said... This is the deal, he said. You can have Gordon Aiken to put on Pineapple Poll and you can have the rights to Las Amanas, but you give me Michael Beer. <laughs> <laughs> so he agreed. And I was so, I, sw- I was swapped. <laughs> and that's the only way I got out of my contract. And, and then at the end of January, I was on the sleeper train up to Glasgow. That was it. And I joined Scottish. Then I met Harold and Midge and various other dancers with them. Um, I I was taken to a performance at the Close Theatre Club, the very first performance Mm. that I saw Scottish Ballet. It was an experimental evening. (laughs) Well, what a load of... Oh, my God. (laughs) I thought, I've made a mistake. What is this? What have I come to? I've given up the Royal ballet to come to this, and it, it was a ballet called Sleepers, oh. and they just a girl rocking in a rocking chair, and others going around in white nighties, just walking r- around singing, "Rose, rose, 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 rose red,", red. something. And like, <laughs> what? Loads no, of rubbish. I did have doubts. I thought I'd made the wrong decision, but very so- shortly after that. They, um, I started to do various roles in B- Peter Darrell's Beauty and the Beast and then Giselle and I was doing the Peasant Pas de Deux and I was also a cast of El- Prince Albrecht, the principal role then I felt and I knew I was familiar with Giselle because mm-hmm. it um we'd done it so many times in in the Royal Ballet and it just so happened that Midge who was dancing with Ken Wells at the time was her partner he decided to leave and join Festival Ballet which is now English National Ballet and Peter Darrell immediately put me with Midge that was the start of the partnership so we started doing Giselle together that was our first ballet together and then from then on we did everything together you know Nutcracker and well plus lots of other roles that we did individually but um, and that's how it it came and then we we had an affair and it went on Mitch was married to Harold at that time but Harold left and went back to South Africa Mitch and I joined New London Ballet and new london ballet was owned by galina and Andre bakovsky it was a small group of just 12 of us and we went all over the world with that eventually ended up doing the, the margot fontaine farewell performances round britain and um we'd also got to know um margot during our days with scottish ballet because we did, scottish ballet did uh, became international when it did its australasian mm-hmm. tour uh, australia and new zealand and um,
2: margot went with ivan yeah, and margot with was
3: a guest artist yes. as you know that's the only way they could get the tour was margot had to dance mm. and um <laughs> I, I think i mentioned it in my my book uh, peter darrell said even if I have to wheel across the stage in a block of ice, we're going. Because <laughs> you know, Margot was already 54 at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, but she was amazing. Mm. Yes, and she, yes. you know, we got to know her very well and yes. she's a lovely person um, and a great, great artist. And she did quite a lot of guesting with New London Ballet mm-hmm. at that time. And um, that only lasted two years, we in New London Ballet. Yes. A b- because... Um, the Arts Council wouldn't give them sort of revenue funding unless they joined Northern Ballet, which was then based in Manchester. Mm. And then later on, of course, Northern moved to Leeds. Um, but from, from that, we, we joined English National Ballet oh. um, for Beryl Grey. We didn't want to go, no. but Harold said, no, you must go. It'll look good on your CV. Mm. So we spent a year there under duress because, uh, <laughs> we hardly did, we did very, very little. Mm. And, um, but
2: when we went to audition, she, um, she said, come and do the boys' class. Hello. <laughs> and, um, and so um, we sat in the car park and Michael said, we Mitch, planned. Yeah, don't dance well. He said, if we do double tours, I'm going to fall over. I said, fine, OK, and now I'll just make a fool of myself. So, we did, didn't we? We fell all over the place. Oh, yes. <laughs> you
3: know, I, 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 I pretended I couldn't do a double turn. No? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she, at the end of it, we thought, that's it. She's we failed. We'll, they're never going to take us into the company. This sounds like a comedy show <laughs> in really? itself. She, no, she, she said, tiny oh, Marion. Tiny Marion. Tiny, tiny. She said, oh, such pretty feet, Michael. She said, I can offer you senior artist contract. So we did. We we we've got senior officers. So the, even, plan, yeah. the plan failed. Weird.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> even at I your worst,
2: did. you were you got this job. We I got, think no. I think there was something. There was a backstory to this because Peter Williams, the critic,
3: he said that we should.
2: No, uh, Dame Alicia was doing Les Sylphides uh, for
3: and
2: festival for band. Festival Ballet at the time, and I believe that. Uh, Alicia had and David Williams the critic had said to Belle you know uh, Marina Michael uh, sh- you should get Marina Michael in your company
3: so that i think so that was it. was it so that was so that was probably she was, that it, wasn't wasn't probably. She, Nothing she was her was hands
2: were tied yeah she couldn't go against Dame Alicia Mark nobody could <laughs> And, 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 and Williams also he was a very nice guy wasn't he
3: yes I mean we we made lovely friends yes it's all in the book but uh,
2: well, well we traveled with Rudy uh, uh, we got to, well you knew Muriel uh, from uh, the Royal but yeah. we went to Paris for five weeks he was doing his Romeo and Juliet at the Palais de sport for five weeks, so we loved Paris, didn't we? We just loved it. yes. <laughs> One of my favourite things that we ever
1: did, actually, at LTS, I don't know if you remember, was we did the uh, Capulets oh, and the Montagues in yep, uh, Romeo and Ju- for Romeo and Juliet when we were on Foundation. I remember doing that Romeo and Juliet because I'd only just started dancing, mm. and I remember it all being so technical, the classes, mm. Mm. and because I was, you know, an older learner. It was hard to to put it into performance, mm. and when we did that with you, it was the first time I thought, "Oh, I can act this." Mm. It was now I, character. I, it was character, mm. and okay. I suddenly remember realized, "Oh, that's why we we spend an hour at the bar <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because yeah. now I yeah. can act yeah. this part." Yeah. And it was just, it was so, just amazing, and that's mm. for me, that dance was when it all clicked.
3: Well, I think mm. that's why with dancers, you all or, or singers, dancers, whatever opera singers, musical th- theatre singers you ha- first and foremost, you have to be an actor. Mm. Mm. you have to act. there's no point in getting up and doing all these s- steps that mm. you know that you learn in ballet, mm-hmm. you know the technique, yeah. um, the physical technique of ballet unless you can act absolutely no point in dancing i mean it's it's like in swan lake you know the very famous 32 Mm fouettes in the black swan does those fouettes don't mean a thing yeah unless while you're doing them you are still that evil odile that black swan and that you're really got it in Mm -hmm. for the the, the, the Prince Siegfried. Dame Margaret Fontaine was amazing because she could do it, but the eyes were still working. Mm. Even though she was doing these turns, you could actually see the expression on her face. Wow. And unless you do that, now they just go through them and you go... Uh, oh, good darling, you can turn, we know that. (laughs) But why are you turning, you know? It's the reason why. Why do you do this step? And how can you do it in a different way? You know.
0: And it's incredible as well to hear you talk about Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev and, you know, to, to outside people and to audiences. They were these giants, they were these Goliaths in the art, but to you they were just colleagues. How, how strange is that from the outside or is it because you sort of grew up with it almost? How does it feel now? Uh, I
2: think we were just so privileged and they were just so lovely as people sometimes the more talented the person the nicer they are yeah it's the ones that are sort of nearly there that didn't quite make it become very bumptious Mm. you know and you'd go oh god here we go you know but people with real talent They're special.
3: In our day, there was a star system. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. You know, like in Hollywood, if you think of Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Tallulah Mm. Bankhead, you know, Marilyn Monroe. And we do, we do think of those. Yes, They're, they're huge stars. Now we don't have a star system so much. I mean, you can be living next door to Darcy Bustle. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody... The, the the sort of star system thing has faded. The
1: untouchable. Yes. People living... Yes. They're almost like living myths. Yes. yes. So yes. that's different yes. now. You've
3: got to, it's got to be untouchable. You know, a, a, a bit like the royal family. Untouchable. Yeah. You mm. know, once you start to learn all about their ins and outs, nitty-gritty private lives and that, th- that magic thing goes it it was always something that we always thought you cannot come out of the theater Mm. having with your hair wet from the shower (laughs) wearing a pair of jeans and a dirty old t-shirt and that because the your so-called fans or audience they want to see Mm. the image and you know i mean fontaine always did
1: well (gasps) we we can confirm for the listeners that Mr and Mrs B both look incredible still today. <laughs> Absolutely, just sat in their living room, so they definitely are living by what they. And it's eating. it's worth just
0: mentioning as well for us. The first thing that we said to each other when we when you agreed to talk to us today was, "What do we wear? What should we wear?" <laughs> <laughs> So
1: I think this is a good point um, to ask you our second question, which Mm. is, who are your favourite variety theatre performers?
2: For me, I used to love it when Morecambe and Wise came on the telly. I just, it was just to relax and laugh and good, clean fun. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing lewd or anything like that, just really silly people. Yeah. You know, and and I, I, I adore silly people. Michael likes...
3: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, M- 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 Morecambe and White. Wy- I mean, when they had Glenda Jackson on. Yes. <laughs> yes. No one has beauty like what, what? I have got. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the scripts were just fabulous. Brilliant. I mean, it was... It, it, that sort of thing. Um, sadly, we don't get uh, as good scripts anymore. I always... I always like the two Ronnies. Absolutely um, brilliant scripts.
1: I think what's interesting is that you both pick double acts yeah. for your favourite yes. comedy yeah. performers, and obviously mm. you two are, in your own way, you know, have performed as a double act yeah. for many years. Why? Why do you think double acts have had that have that effect on you? What is it that's so special?
3: Like in ballet, when you're doing a pas de deux, you yes. you you. you you're feeding off each other all the time, fruit. yes. And I think that's the, s- the same thing with the two Ronnies and morkham and Wise. Mm. The, 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 the repartee between that's them. Yeah. the repartee. The, 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 there was a the connection mm. there.
1: The chemistry. The yeah.
3: chemistry between the two, which made them like one. Yeah. You think of the two Ronnies as one. Yes, you mm. do. And, and morkham and Wise as one. Mm. It's like one person, basically. Yeah. But... Yeah. We
2: miss them, don't we? We really oh, miss really, them. Oh, really,
3: really miss, really miss Absolutely. those. Absolutely, know? yes. You met briefly Ronnie Corbett. Little, yeah, little Ronnie. In, <laughs> we were doing a gala in Edinburgh. And on, he, he and, just
2: came and stood and, next to and, me. And, and he likes ballet, you see. So he'd obviously seen us dance. And we and because there were guests on the programme, uh, we we were standing in the wings watching the next whatever. And this person came and I turned uh, Yes. Oh, it's Ronnie Corbett. And he went, Oh, how nice he said to look someone in the eyes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting that you say about having a sense of humour. And I remember, principally from you two, from being trained by you both, how much you always encouraged having a sense of humor in your work and i yes. reiterating the point that you have to take the work seriously mm. but you don't necessarily have to take yourself seriously no why has that always been important in your careers because I think people would think that ballet is very serious very strict very disciplined mm. but having a laugh has yes. always been so important
2: how can you how can your body work if you don't feel relaxed and happy you can't do it. Ball too damn difficult, isn't it? It's such as
0: it's very stressful. And have you found too that difficult. that's been the same with the people that you've worked with over your career? You know, the, the, again the big, the big names, the Newells and the Fontaines. Did they all have that attitude as well? I, yes, I think they did. I, I was never I, I'm
3: afraid. Not, Nurev had a sense of humour. Yes, mean, he I did. Mean, yes. I mean, he was known for his temperament, yes. yes. The, I mean, um,
2: Throwing things around.
3: But he also had a sense of humour. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, uh, Margot Fontaine too, you know, they, they were relaxed. They didn't regard it as a job. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think and, the audience can tell as well when that's the case. I think yes, so. yes, yes, yes.
3: And I think sometimes, uh, and, and particularly for, for youngsters who, who may get pushed into um, the theatre profession because their mum and dad wants them. And you can see that the child's not... It's not really for them. Mm. Now,
0: that's you interesting, know. isn't it, Mrs B? Because didn't you start off doing... Variety shows when you were a child. Yeah, I did
2: acrobatics. Uh, Yes, I used to stand on my head and do all silly things. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was born in Hull. My parents didn't really want to have a family. Mm -hmm. My, My father was mixed race. At the end of the war, he went to Burma for a year. And my mother said she wanted to have a baby because she didn't know whether Daddy would survive. You know, she didn't know whether we yeah. would get back or yeah. whatever. And I was born while my daddy was away. And when he came back, he didn't have a job. He he went back on um, Hull Fish dock and he was filleting fish for a job to keep us going. When I was three, uh, our neighbour, she said, you know, you should send your Marion to Miss Boulder's dance class. So mum said, oh, well, all right, I'll take her. And she took me, and I remember sitting on this row of chairs, thinking, oh, I don't know about this. I didn't seem enthusiastic at all. Anyway, she, she took me back again, and they were doing something funny, dressed as chickens. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> mm. That did it for me. They, that did it. And so I, I went back, and I got to be a chicken eventually, and I believe what happened was I didn't do any of the dances. I stood on the proscenium March of the theatre pulling faces at the <laughs> audience. But I remember that my mum's mum uh, went to see a fortune teller. You know, they people used to do that. <laughs> you know, they used to see... And they, they, this lady said, um, they, there'll be a child in your family that becomes a mimic. Wow and I think that, that probably it. was the mimicking, because I used to yeah. mimic a lot, didn't I, Michael? Mm. So that was it, so I loved to act and be silly, really. And um, so I did acrobatics, and I learned to do ballet, and then when I came over here, there was a ballet class, Miss Banks, at the old-age pensioner's hut in the middle of Leyland. So she took me on, as, and I, I started to do my ballet exams, R.A.D., you know, and all this business. From there, what happened was she was quite young and she decided to get married. She said to my ma'am, Marion's talented, she said, there is a school in Southport called Loretto School of Dance. I would like you to go and see them there and see. If you can afford, it's quite expensive. And ma'am was really good. She got a a grant from Lancashire County Council to help. By that time, I was 15 I went as a boarder. And, you know, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, Mum and Dad never had any money. We never had any money, so it was all scratching down the sofa for the odd halfpenny. you know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. my Daddy smoked and my Mum used to say, go to the corner shop, Marion, and ask Mr. So-and-so, can you have two woodbines? <laughs> Here's the chain. You could. We couldn't afford a package. A pack, can. just no, the uh, two? Two woodbinds, so that's what I used to do. Um. So when I went to boarding school, I mixed with girls that came from well-to-do families. And I learned how other people lived. I absorbed it. I thought, no, I love this. I love hearing what they do, you know. Uh, they can go out and they can buy new shoes i yeah. never had the chance to do it's so it's
1: so amazing how how important that grant was then in your life and totally. the access to be mm. able to get that money and and that your mom had the initiative to do that yes, and that the money indeed. was there for you the
2: money was there and also of course you have to do i loved it actually because we did tap mm. ballet singing ballroom greek we did everything uh, with, modern. One t- modern, with one <laughs> teacher, yeah. Dorothea Halli- Halliwell. And she trained... Who was the other ballerina that came from there?
3: Belinda Wright. Belinda Wright, Ooh, who was famous. Came from
2: the same school. <laughs> when I got to 19, they wanted me to take over the school uh, because they wanted to retire. And I thought, no, I'm not doing this. Mm. You know, I need to get on stage. They had a connection with Rambert, with Madame Rombert, and um, <coughs> they arranged for me to go down to London to audition the Ballet Brombeck School and I remember my mum and dad drove me in the little car down to London and we parked outside the Mercury Theatre and my mum took me in and uh, Mrs. Ellis, Madam's daughter, was doing the audition and everything and she looked at me and um, they asked me to wait outside and she would said to my mum, I'm sorry Mrs. Alsop because I was marrying Alsop. Um, your daughter's too small. She's too small. She's not tall enough. I'm sorry, we can't audition her. And my mum begged. She said, please. She said, we've come all the way from Lancashire in a day and we're mm. going home. Please see her dance. said so they let me go in and do the class. I didn't know that, mm. that oh. my mum had begged. Oh. To, yeah. And how uh, tall are you then, just...
1: Well, I was light.
2: five foot, I've always been, but just recently, yeah, mm-hmm. I had to go for a hand test because I had burning hand syndrome, mm. and this gentleman said, you know, was checking all my reflexes, and he said, now come on, Midge, stand against the door because I want to measure your height, and he said, how how tall are you? I said, I'm five foot, and he went, I'm sorry, love, he said, you're four foot ten, you've shrunk, <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, do you know why? <coughs> Because we stopped dancing. Anyway, so I, they saw me do the class. Yes, they'll take me into the school. Right, OK. So I went into the school. I was in the school, I think, four months, and took me into the company. So I started my career with Rombear. Yeah,
3: Rambe- well, she she had her eye on you. Yeah, they were smallish dancers, the ballerinas. Yeah. Rumbé at that was, time small when it was classical. And yeah, yeah. And um and Rumbé could saw something in, in yes. in Midge.
2: But it was um Rumbé was nice to me, Dame Mary. She was very nice to me, and I remember we performed at Liverpool, and Mum and Dad were sitting in the car outside the stage door, um waiting for me to come out, and Mum had wound the window down. And Madam came waddling out, as she did, you know, and um, Mam said, Oh, look, Matt, there's Madam. And she heard my mum. She had eyes like a hawk, that one. And she walked over to the car and she said, Who are you? (laughs) That was her favourite expression. (laughs) Who are you? And Mammy said, "Um, It's Marion's Mam and Dad, Madam. And she said, Who? She said, (laughs) Marion's Mam and Dad. And Madam went, Oh, the girl with the beautiful eyes.
0: Aww. Oh is that beautiful
2: So yes, so that I I've treasured that. Yeah. I, I thought that was really lovely. And what theatre was that?
3: that was uh, the 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 royal court the royal court Court. because the the royal ballet touring company used to do do that we didn't perform at the empire no Mm. right Mm. Uh, i mean i i don't know why the royal never did the empire because it's a much bigger stage
2: yeah but but the
3: royal court was was nice nice. it was a lovely theater traditional yeah there was a lift i remember
2: Everybody crammed in, do, do, in the
3: lift. You, know, you, you
2: I know that lift,
3: actually. <laughs> yes, yes. yes, yes. yes.
2: You
0: know well, it? that brings us to a question that we've been mm. dying to ask you, which God. is what is your favourite theatre? Of all the theatres you've performed in in your, your vast career, what would
3: you say is your favourite theatre and why?
2: I think we both came to the same conclusion, didn't we, Mike?
3: Yeah, I think the Theatre Royal and Opera House in Northampton when, when we formed, together with Harold King, London City Ballet, yes, it was the theatre where we got our first full week of performances. Yes. Instead of just one-nighters. Nighters. Right. Mm. And so it was really, really important because it, it, it was such a success. We Full houses... For the entire week, absolutely jam-packed.
2: And what time did we finish the shows at night?
3: Uh, we started at 7.30 and the, and the curtain came down at sort of 10 to 11. Yes. Wow! Yeah. And wow. And, and people were worried about missing the last bus home. Yes. In <laughs> <laughs> but they did. They all stayed. stayed. Yeah. These theatre managers, you no know, other theatre managers, you know, around the country... And so when Harold wanted to book dates like in Colchester, the Mercury Theatre and... um, Derby. Derby, Mm. places like that, they all said, yes, we want Mm. London City Ballet because we had been such a success that first week in Northampton. Mm. And that, literally, from there onward, we just got date after date after date. I I think, of course, the Royal Opera House, when when I came over as a student from from Africa, and seeing the the, the Royal Opera House, I mean, 16, I would never seen a theatre of that size. Well, they didn't have anything like that in out in Africa. I couldn't believe Mm. how amazing it was. And the orchestra happened to be rehearsing. And I sneaked through the past door and I went... (sighs) And I looked at this curtain and I went, this is where I want to dance. Mm -hmm. It is magical. Mm. It's, by today's standards, it's not the most, the biggest of stages for Mm. ballet the Colosseum I think is slightly bigger Bigger. and when you think of the theatres in Europe uh, and particularly in Russia like the the Mariinsky in St. Petersburg and the Bolshoi in Moscow the stages are huge I mean Munich and Mm. uh, in Germany, massive stages, you know, which is ideal. Yeah. Uh, rarely, the times come when the Royal Opera House should just be kept for opera and there should be a new opera house should be built. For ballet. You know, uh, uh, high tech for ballet, because it, you can't extend that proscenium arch. I mean, mm. you know, the depth is there, but... You know, yeah. and and I think when the Bolshoi and the, and and the Mariinsky come over to dance in London, I mean, for them it's cramped yeah. a bit. Yeah. You know, they can't yeah. let fly. They're used to huge stages in Europe. That's why Ashton and people their choreography is very very <laughs> intricate because of the sizes of the stages. Yeah. You know, Sadler's Wells was small. You know, Michael do you remember this
2: one little theater that sticks in my mind you know when we were in cuba we went out
3: meant mantanzas
2: Mantanzas, that sticks in my mind yes mike and i we got a letter via via the royal ballet telling us that we should go to cuba to guest at the festival Mm. we were invited you see this was from alicia alonso and you don't say we can't go you, you, will will. Appear, you will appear in, appear in, the, in,
3: in the Cuban <laughs> dance festival.
2: <laughs> and Harold and we went, went oh, yeah, that's brilliant, brilliant. Go. go. So we flew out, didn't we? We got to the hotel, mm, didn't we? It was a
3: lovely hotel, which had been formerly the, the Hilton, Hilton. Yes, it was the Hilton. But it, but it wasn't well, no. the Hilton. Michael
2: was no, on the 12th floor and I yeah, was on the 4th floor. floor because, you see, you weren't allowed really to chat about anything. You know, with being communist, You have to be very, Mm. very Mm. very careful what you you said, Mm. you know. Mm. There was one American guy who was invited to the festival.
3: Mm. Clark Tippett. Clark
2: Tippett, yeah, and he was mouthing off...
3: About their politics
2: politics and and everything. And they cut off his air conditioning (laughs) and everything (laughs) (laughs) in his hotel room. But anyway, we went, we got there, and there were three theatres performing. There was... um, it's the Bolshoi. The
3: Bolshoi Joy, doing yeah. doing Romeo and Swan, Juliet in one... Oh, no,
2: I thought it was Swan Lake. Then, yes,
3: or Swan Lake, I yeah, can't remember. Yeah. Then the Cuban Ballet were doing...
2: Experimental, experimental Ballets. And, and Alonso, then there was, the other Alonso thi- was dancing yes. in, in the Experimental, and you know her sight was really going by that time. So And then
3: and the then, third theatre was for the guests all the the, the, f- the foreign guests
2: yeah they flew in from all and, over the world all these you know, oh it's fabulous um, you know so what happened was um they televised our performances to the public it came through on their tellys live which was brilliant anyway so we did Persia's night
3: yeah we we, we it, which is sort of a big russian
2: yeah and we did it. it because we used to do it with Galina and Andre and because it, it, they it, did Valpurgis Night and she taught it to us. So it was quite authentic. We so knew it. We, we knew it. it. Well, we'd done it so many, many times, times anyway. So we were comfortable with that. And, and there
3: was... There, during the performance, there was all this... There were There were hissings. <laughs> And I said, Mitch
2: hate us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was talking <laughs> to me while we were and doing the podcast.
3: We oh, my God. Keep going,
2: Mitch. hate going, us.
3: <laughs> anyway, we finished the performance and everything. Yeah. And then but then we had all these curtain calls. Wow. People were clapping, they were clapping and stamping and clapping and clapping. The next day, the lady who was looking after us, she said, oh, um, you've had such a success. He in was. Havana. And I said, Why they hiss? They they don't like us and she said, No. She said, That's the way they show their that appreciation. Good. Can you believe it? Mm. They they I go s- s- they. Ah, s- just... when they think something's good. <laughs> yeah. And so because of that, Alonzo c- called us to her office and she said you will dance in Mantanzas, which was another town,
2: yeah, with the other Cuban principals.
1: with the other
3: Cuban principals. Wow. Yes, yeah, so, so we mean, went... this was
1: the beautiful theater that you remember. Oh, yes, it well, was
3: a Spanish well, obviously, Spanish architecture being in Cuba, colonial. Oh, god, it was beautiful. beautiful. We
2: went on a bus, a tin bus for two hours with the oh, other principals from the Cuban Ballet, and they we were great, they were fabulous, we? and numbums and <laughs> Two wardrobe mistresses, mm. wasn't it? And, of course, it was all done with tape, wasn't it? Mm. Taped music. Anyway, we got to this theatre, and when you went in, it was all pale blue and gold.
3: And there was pale a beautiful velvet
2: and, oh.
3: dressing room yes. where Pavlo- Anna Pavlova had used, and it hadn't been changed. It well, no. had the sort of Mother of Pearl, Pearl dressing and, tables. and the c- candlesticks with it. You know, um,
2: no, no electric lights, you see, candles to get, uh, so they gave me this dressing room to go, oh, it was brilliant, wasn't mm. it, Michael?
3: Lovely theatre.
2: Lovely theatre, lovely audience, and it was like a cowboy town, wasn't it? These yeah. Sort of shacks <laughs> and things, you thought, God, what, what are we doing here? But when you got into the theatre, you thought, oh, it was such a privilege mm. to go with the Cuban dancers and everything.
3: Alicia Alonzo, she said, I want you to do Swan Lake with the company.
2: Will you stay? Will you, stay? you
3: stay? We said, no. We no, can't. we've
2: got to get back. We've
3: got to get back, <laughs> to, get back to Aberystwyth for a performance <laughs> with London City Ballet. I mean, Sorry. what fools we were. We could have guessed it with the Cuban National Ballet. But we, we, Aberystwyth called? Uh, Aberystwyth. I <laughs> I mean, yeah, so like we, we flew
2: in from Cuba and Julian... Um, a friend, mutual friend of Harold, drove and us ours, up to Aberystwyth. Drove us to Aberystwyth. We'd hired a cottage, and one of the girls from London City Ballet was in. Uh, they'd lit a fire because it was so cold. Everything, we were knackered, the two of us. We mm. were so tired, and uh, it had just been one long it, it, it journey. Was the, the, those sort of things. Would you think? I said to Michael, "Why don't you call your?" Book, cuba to ever is swiss I, <laughs> love
3: that. I think that's yeah. what we
0: can call this episode <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i could listen to that all day and we did and we did <laughs> all day <laughs> and as soon as we left as soon as we left their house didn't we, we were like when can we go back? Well, let's let's try and start. Let's try and work out a time that we can actually go back because there was like, just so much more to be to be talked about. It was like we just scratched the surface, wasn't it? And like you said, they'd really they'd graciously invited us to their home. We had such a lovely afternoon. They did us a lovely lunch. I don't think I had d- an evening meal that night because we were that no. stuffed, weren't we? Leaving there, no.
1: and we sat in their summer house as well in the garden,
0: which was stunning for our lunch. Beautiful. And we just chatted away. It was it was gorgeous. It was just the most gorgeous gorgeous day.
1: So as we said at the beginning of the episode, there is so much more to still learn about this wonderful showbiz couple. So in a couple of weeks, we will be airing the second part of this interview and we really would encourage you to tune in again because it is magic. It was just, it's just like a warm hug and yet so inspirational of how hard that they worked and that yeah. success is possible. And mm-hmm. also a showbiz couple staying together.
0: I know it's a rare thing, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. It that really, been really is. All of these experiences together as a couple and how wonderful that they get to sit now and, and share these experiences with us. And just, they are absolute, people throw the term couple goals around quite a lot, I think, <laughs> but really, Couple goals applies to Mr. and Mrs. B.
0: They are the number one spot. They are the gold medal winners. Silver being Richard Madeley and Judy
2: Field. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: oh, as well,
0: we I
2: can imagine
0: that Mr. and Mrs. B would make a fabulous book club. <laughs> <laughs> well, first book being read in the club being Mr. B's fabulous book. Exactly. That's
1: And if you would like to get your hands on that book, then please do get in touch with us because you can buy them directly from Mr. B himself. And so we will put an order in for you and we can arrange that to be sent straight to your door.
0: Yeah, Michael requested, didn't leave any interest in the book get in touch with us and we will direct you to them because that is probably the easiest way to do it so like we said please tune into the second part of our interview where we discuss Michael and Marion's involvement with the London City Ballet and their very very special royal patron Mm -hmm. who could it be find out soon and just to
1: entice you with another little carrot we have got a very, very special royal episode coming up ourselves in the next few weeks. And I think that's all we're allowed to say at the moment, isn't it? Oh, I hate it. I hate having
0: exciting things to say and not being able to say it
1: yes yeah, so me and mike have had a really really <laughs> exciting week and there is some royal action happening in the next few weeks and we would love you to tune back in again to be part of that thank you so much for listening we really really couldn't do this without you the podcast is growing so fast and we are getting our love for hall and variety out there into the world and really your support has been absolutely wonderful.
0: Please make sure that you like, rate and review our podcasts on your podcast provider, wherever you're listening to the Spice of Life podcast and give us a little shout out on social media. Get in touch with us on our Facebook, our Instagram and our Twitter. It's Frame This Presents and on Twitter it's Frame This Presents S-O-L-T <laughs> <laughs> I should really write that down and just read it every episode, shouldn't I, instead of trying to remember it?
1: Well, I don't think there's going to be many other SLOPs around, so hopefully (laughs) they'll find us one way or the other. All that's left for us to say is... See you next
0: week! Former principals and primers in every ballet company around... Company? Company! Company.